I have here a picture of a sheep, uh, nope, a wolf in sheep's clothing and lots of sheep that are in danger. Uh, so what does the, a wolf in sheep's clothing mean to you? Well, it means that uh, a danger has gotten in amongst us and is kind of, we're all at risk, but we don't know it, right? Uh, someone inside is threatening to devour us. Uh, the wolf knows if I just come to the sheep as myself, they will know that I'm a danger. They're going to be aware, and they're going to run away, and it's going to make it hard for me to devour the sheep. So, if a wolf could, it would dress up in sheep's clothing and then act like a sheep and get in amongst the flock. The flock is unaware that they pose a danger, and this will allow the, the wolf uh, a much greater chance of taking out a sheep or maybe multiple sheep. As far as I know, Jesus is the one who came up with this analogy of a wolf in sheep's clothing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he likens false prophets to uh, a, sh a wolf wearing sheep's clothing. And so what's he saying? He's saying, look, false prophets, they claim to be from God, they claim to speak for, uh, for God, they claim to be part of the people of God, and they're on the inside, but they are destructive spiritually to the people of God, very, very dangerous. We're studying the last few chapters of Romans. In fact, today our series on Romans ends. I'm sad about this because what a magnificent letter this is. Today, we're looking at Romans chapter 16, final chapter in the letter, uh, and we're looking in particular at verses 17 to 20, Paul warning the Roman Christians about, uh, to, he, he, he warns them to be on the watch for false teachers, because he knows that it's false teaching that can derail these Christians in Rome and keep them from enjoying all the, the benefits of the gospel that he's just spent 16 chapters articulating. The greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ is not outside, it's inside. And that, that might be surprising, but that's true. I think we, we often think the greatest threat to the church is outside the church, persecution, government persecution, maybe a secularized society that makes the general society less interested in what we have to say or antagonistic. But you know what? The church has always survived external persecution, external forces far better than it has internal error. The greatest threat to the church is from the inside, deception on the inside. Satan likes to get his nose up under the tent, so to speak, put his agents inside the church, and they wear sheep's clothing. And we think of them as just part of us. And they might have the title pastor or be a small group leader or be an elder. And, uh, and all of a sudden they begin to alter the gospel. Back in chapter 1, Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But that applies to the gospel, not an alteration of the gospel. You alter the gospel, it's not the gospel, it has no power, it saves no one. And how many local churches have been taken down 
by false teaching. Because when a church begins to buy into false teaching and proclaim false teaching, nobody in the church is getting saved and nobody outside who comes to visit gets saved and yet people come thinking, I need to find God, I'll go to a Christian church and they're not actually hearing the gospel. It's a terrible thing. Terrible thing. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, well, he starts in verse 2, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel, Paul it was very concerned about false teachers uh, getting into the church and corrupting the gospel and derailing the church. That was his, his biggest heartburn, what he saw as the greatest risk to the church. And so, uh, here we are in, in Romans chapter 16. And as far as we know, there's no indication in the letter to the Romans that false teachers were already there. Uh, in fact, most uh, of the scholars I read conclude the false teachers had not yet come, but Paul knew they would come. Uh, in fact, in, in Acts chapter 20, when he was leaving Ephesus and he gathers the elders of Ephesus to get together, he said, look, false teachers will rise even from amongst your own people. And they'll come from the outside and they will try to corrupt the gospel. Watch out for them. Don't let them get an audience. You see, false teachers are not content with holding their erroneous doctrines to themselves. They're fundamentally influencers. They want other people to believe as they do. And so they are fundamentally people of influence. So here we are in Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So these are fundamentally people who try to, to alter the doctrine of the church. Avoid them. Watch out for them. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, even if they have the title pastor, the title elder, even if they hold a position of influence in the church. But their own appetites they serve. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. You do not want to be a naive Christian because you're at risk. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So his concern here is uh, for the inevitable false teachers who will seek to uh, lead the Church of Rome astray, Clearwater Church, I think based on the, 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 the teaching and pattern uh, of Scripture, we need to be watchful. And inevitably, Satan will seek to derail, derail, 
derail Clearwater Church with false teaching. It's happened over and over and over again, local church after local church after local church, denomination after denomination. The gospel gets altered, and the power of God leaves the church. And we, this is not written to the elders of the church. I appeal to you, brothers. He's talking to the, every Christian. Watch out. Be on guard. Don't let this happen to Clearwater Church. That's what I'm hearing for us in this text. Now, notice, uh, notice the, the, the methodology that is used. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive. By smooth talk and flattery, they sound good. They're, they, they're not going to come at, at you uh, in such a way that it's evident that they're, they're off. They're, it's smooth. It sounds good. It sounds right. By the way, when judging whether or not you want to follow a, a particular religious leader, go to attend, don't ask yourself, how does, their, how does what they're saying make me feel? That is not the question. Because smooth talk makes you feel good. You don't ask, how do they make me feel? You ask, does it line up with what the Bible says? That's what the Berean Christians were commended for. Remember, even the Apostle Paul, they would go home at night and study the Scriptures to see if what the Apostle Paul was saying lined up with the revealed will of God. Smooth talk feels good. Ugh! When I sit, I, I remember hearing a guy say one time, oh, I just, I, I'm, I so miss this pastor because when I talked to him, it was like grace cookies were being fed me. And, and I don't know if that guy was wrong or not, but I'd be like, that's not the way you decide whether or not uh, that was a good pastor. And flattery, flattery, flattery says things like, look, listen, you, I want you to experience the fullness of the Christian life. A lot of Christians are missing out on that rich, spirit-filled life that you can have. Um, and, and there are some, there are just truths that are being, that have just been missed by most Christians throughout history. But I'm going to show them to you. And God wants you to have them because you're, you're part of that. I can tell that you really, really care about God. You're one of those special Christians. You see what I'm saying? It feels good. Sounds smooth. Uh, and, and you get taken in. So who's at risk? The naive are at risk. The naive. What makes a Christian naive? Well, on one hand, they might be naive because they're just not even aware of the great danger of false teaching. And so their, their, their radar isn't even up. They're not on guard. It could be that they're naive because they don't know true doctrine. Right? And as a Christian, when, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later, he, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as what, to what is evil. I think what Paul's saying, listen, Christian, get up to speed doctrinally. Uh, be like those FBI agents or bank tellers who they get so familiar with the real dollar that when they encounter a counterfeit, they're like, this does not feel right. This doesn't smell right. Something's off here. We got to be like that so that we're not easily taken in. And it could be that you're naive because you uh, you value you get impressed with people, and you're, you're and then you just sign over to somebody a blank check for your theo theological mind. By the way, do not do that for me. Don't do it to Pastor James. You don't sign a blank check over to anyone. 
I follow this person and everything they teach me I'm going to take. No, you have a responsibility to know the word and to judge what's being told you by the word of God. And that includes for me, Pastor James, you know, we can be wrong. I think of St. Augustine. Uh, I did my thesis in college on St. Augustine. And he, one of the premier Christian thinkers of the world. Before he died, he wrote an entire book called Retractions, <laughs> in which he went back into all of his writing and he said, I, in this document, on this, I, I retract that. I retract that. Because so, his, you know, his understanding had been developing and he realized that some of his early teachings were off. Hopefully they're just you know, little tiny things, nothing significant. What is the result of false teaching? teaching? <clears throat> they cause divisions and create obstacles. They create divisions in the church because somebody in the church gains influence and they start to get a little following, right? And then, and they've got some pet doctrine that they're really fanatical about. And then others in the church are like, wait a second. You know, at a minimum, we feel like we're left out, and that creates a sense of disunity, right? There, there are those who are kind of on the inner circle, and those are out. Or there's a real a question mark over that theology and attention, and, and division uh, results. Now, there is a time to divide, and it is when the gospel is actually at risk. <laughs> and uh, we're going to look at that. You, part of avoiding means you, you push out from the church the false teachers and those who refuse, and those who are uh, going with them. Um, but they cause divisions and create obstacle, and obstacles like a stumbling block. We're, we're all, we're all on a, in a race, and we're trying to follow Jesus, and then uh, false teaching puts up obstacles and trips people up and derails them spiritually. And so the, the result of false teaching is, is very damaging to churches and very dam damaging to people spiritually. <clears throat> I want to talk about five types of false teaching that you will almost certainly encounter uh, as a Christian in the United States. Uh, and so, yeah, you're just going to encounter these. If, you, if you're listening to Christian radio or you're watching the television or you're just grabbing any book off the shelf uh, in the Christian section, you'll probably hit this. Uh, hopefully, it, you're not hearing it from the pulpit at Clearwater Church. But the, the first type of false teaching is heresy. And heresy is just a blatant, a blatant uh, denial of a core Christian doctrine. 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, he's talking about in the past, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destruction, destructive heresies. Remember, the, the, the wolf doesn't just come right up to the, to the, to the sheep. The, the wolf sneaks in dressed in sheep's clothing. They secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. As in, their, as in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction 
is not asleep. Now, heresy, I think, is the easiest to, to spot. If you're even basically, you know, hopefully you've got your basic Christian doctrine down, and, and, and when somebody says, no, 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 there aren't, you know, there isn't just, there isn't one God in three persons, uh, or, you know, there, there was no actual resurrection from the dead, or Jesus Christ is not truly alive and will return, you know, you're, you think, what? what are you talking about? But think about, um, like the Mormons. The Mormons absolutely parade themselves in society as Christians. Uh, and they use, they use smooth talk. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, Mormons will say. Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God as the Bible teaches that you and I believe? Absolutely not. They do not believe that there are three persons of the Trinity, and that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, and that He's actually God in flesh. No, they mean that Jesus is the Son of God in the same way they mean that you are the Son of God, and or I am the Son of God, if we will have faith. So they're, they're twisting it. But that's a, that's a heresy, a core, um, a denial of a core Christian teaching. Jehovah's Witnesses, right? They don't believe in a Trinitarian God. They believe it, that there's just one God and one, you know, one person in the Trinity, the Father. So, I think these, though, uh, these just oh, um, denials of a core Christian doctrine, I think that's the easiest false teaching for us to sniff out. Then there is uh, sensuality, and sensuality is an authorization to indulge the flesh, in particular your sexual appetites. You think of all the churches in, in, in our country, they, they, are, they, they are Christian churches, at least they claim to be. And Christian pastors who say the God is okay with homosexual behavior. You, a man can marry a man, a woman can marry a woman. It's okay. You know, Paul was bound up by the, uh, the morality of his day. But don't be tied down to that. I can tell you God's okay with uh, much more than just man be, a husband, uh, sex between a a man and a woman in the context of marriage, which, of course, is biblical sexual ethics. And they proclaim this. And, and uh, they, you know, denominations that say it's, you know, uh, throw up, bring out the rainbow flags and parade them at your churches because we're inclusive, because God loves, right? God is love and love wins. And uh, that, that's, that, is, um, that is not true doctrine. So we read in uh, Jude chapter 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. By the way, underline that. <clears throat> the Christian faith was once for all delivered to the church by the apostles. Jesus Christ granted the apostles uh, the authority to articulate for Christendom uh, the significance of his life, death, and resurrection. And that, it, that has been recorded for us in the scriptures. This is called the canon, and the canon is closed. It was once for all delivered. Now, uh, every past generation including our generation, is responsible to steward that body of truth, that gospel for the next generation, right? We are not allowed to alter the gospel. It does not transform for the needs of modern culture. 
It was delivered once for all, like a package. And then we need to faithfully steward that. So he's so here's Jude saying, I wanted to talk to you about uh, you know, our common salvation, but I, I, I'm going to have to spend my time asking you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, notice that, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Uh, in Paul's day, uh, there, there were the Nicolaitans in particular, uh, and also the Gnostics who said, what you do in the body has no effect on your spiritual life. The, the body and the spirit are separate. So do whatever you want physically, have whatever sex you want, eat whatever you want. It's, it does not affect your spirit. And this was a, a heresy that had crept into the early church. Um, and so varying degrees of it. I mean, and, and Christians, naive Christians, this sounds great. What? You mean I get to, I get to go, in a sense, do what I want? Uh, and I can, and God will, you know, be totally pleased with me. I like this theology. This is good. Whereas, you know, Christian ethics demands some self-denial, and it demands not allowing the flesh to have its control over us. Uh, then there was well, another one more verse here. Second Peter chapter two, eighteen, nineteen. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. You have freedom to indulge that sexual uh, deviancy that you so like. And it's okay. Uh, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So heresy, then this sensuality. Here's a third type of false teaching. Uh, we encounter, especially here in the U.S., well, not just you in this, it's called the prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel, word of faith movement. And, and here's what that says. It says, look, uh, part of your inheritance as a Christian is health and wealth. It's part of what Jesus died to secure for you, physical health uh, and uh, financial wealth. God wants it for you. And the only thing that's keeping you back from it is your lack of faith. But an increase in faith, God will reward with greater health and greater wealth. And all the people who are sick and poor say, that's the gospel I want. That is not the gospel that has been entrusted to us. And all kinds of preachers get wealthy proclaiming this and saying, send me your dollars and I will pray for you. And it's an act of faith and God sees that money you give and he will reward it. And <clears throat> Frustrating. And it's all over the place. And, and uh, Christian publishers are publishing, uh, well, somebody's publishing all these books because people buy them and then they get wealthy off of them. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verses 3 through 5. By the way, it's all about what God says. It's not about what Mike says. There have been a lot of false teachers who get up and rail against false teaching. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit, understands nothing, 
He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. By the way, we'll address that in a moment. An unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. And here it is. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. False teachers... One of the things the Bible repeatedly says is false teachers are in it for the following, and they're in it for the money. But one of the things they'll teach that, that, that people so easily swallow is this idea that, you know, follow me, uh, and, uh, and you will end up getting the money and the health that you want. So prosperity gospel. Heresy, sensuality, prosperity. Here, here's a fourth false teaching we will encounter, and it's this, it's extra-biblical revelation. That's the way I put it. And here it is. Extra-biblical revelation says it, it denigrates the importance of the Word of God, the Bible, and it elevates extra-biblical revelation. It elevates hearing from God apart from studying the Word. And so you'll have prophets, prophetesses, who will say, I, 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 I get, I hear directly from the Lord, things for you. Daniel, if you'll listen to the word I'm getting for your life, you're going to be blessed. And in fact, you need to be following me because, you know, I'm this pipeline to yeah, the Bible, but it was written to... They might not even say it, but here's the subtext. It was written 2,000 years ago. You need a fresh word from the Lord that is relevant to your particular situation, and that's what I offer you, right? I'm the prophet with my direct... Or, or, it's, or it's, I'm going to just teach you how you can hear directly from the Lord. And so, sure, we believe the Bible. We, of course we believe the Bible. But very practically, how do they live? It's all about my immediate direct pipeline to God because I need the fresh word. I need the word that's relevant to my life today. And yet, so what did the scripture say when it says, so, you know, the word of God has been given so that the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work? No. I don't, if somebody tells me I'm a prophet, I have a word from the Lord, I am immediately suspicious. Is it possible that the Lord will give you uh, specific um, guidance for your life, absolutely, through prayer, through counseling, um, through counsel, uh, and um, yes, that's possible, but we, all, but we don't do, treat that the same way we do the Bible. We treat that as, I think I'm hearing from the Lord. <laughs> I'll put it to the test of asking my fellow script brothers and sisters, definitely compare it against the, the Word. But do, is God going to give theology and doctrine to Clearwater Church through outside, uh, beyond the scriptures? No. Not through some prophet, not through some you hearing from the Lord. That's not happening. And this, this is a, this, in fact, there's a, there's a, a kingdom conference, I think it's called, happening maybe a week from now. One of the things they're claiming is, come and get your, your word from God. We'll even email it to you afterwards so you have a copy of it. We laugh. That's, but what, why does that appeal to us? What is so attractive about that? 
we think we need something beyond the scriptures and beyond Jesus Christ's, you know, uh, self-revelation in order to have a vibrant spiritual life. It's not right. And, and can you imagine how easy that is to abuse? You can hear from the Lord to, uh, to justify whatever behavior you want. Uh, some prophet can, can lead you all over the place because you just believe, oh, they're hearing from the Lord. By the way, when somebody says, I, I have heard from God, it's so hard to challenge that. You have to challenge their whole uh, way of knowing before you can even, you know, God told me. Don't use that language, by the way. That language binds people's consciences. And Corinthians tell us, tells us uh, that we all have a responsibility to, to uh, test the spirits. It also says that in John. In fact, here it is. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many So there are, you know, the Bible tells us there are a whole lot of people who are claiming to be speaking on God's behalf and they're false and you don't want to get led astray by them. So you test and it, and it tells us, you know, how to know, but by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I just, this is just a massive false teaching in, in America today. It is so rampant. And it will, it will smash your faith. It'll take you into places. It'll waste a whole lot of your time and energy. Don't go there. You don't need extra biblical revelation in order to live the life that God has for you. Study the Bible. <laughs> and then appropriate those truths by faith. And it will revolutionize your life. And you'll grow in wisdom. Jude chapter 8. Uh, I'm sorry. Jude verse 8. One more. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Relying on their dreams, right? They're, what are they putting their trust in? Not the doctrine that has been, you know, granted to us once for all, but their dreams, their extra-biblical revelation. That's what they're relying on, and it leads them to blaspheme the uh, devile the flesh and reject authority. You can think about that more later. So heresy, sensuality, prosperity, extra biblical revelation, and then the final, I didn't know what to say about this other than just much ado about nothing. They make much ado about nothing. Um, I read a little earlier that 1 Corinthians 6 verse 4 uh, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words uh, in Titus 3.9. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. They're unprofitable and worthless. 1 Timothy 1.3-7. Um, I charge... You may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which, promotes, which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith, the stewardship of the gospel. 
If it matters to God, and if it is important for your spiritual life, the Bible will talk about it clearly. Own that significant truth. Who are the Nephilim? Who cares? Who cares who the Nephilim are? God obviously doesn't care enough about the Nephilim for our spiritual life to clarify it. The end times and exactly how it's all going to play out. It doesn't matter or God would have told us. Do you understand this? You, so there, is, there are many, well there's something probably within all of us that has a fascination with the obscure. Don't look for hidden coded meanings in the Bible. Don't look be, to read between the lines. If God, God cares about you. And so he has clearly communicated what is important. And, and so we get all f- f- frustrated with, oh, you know, true Bible-believing Christians can't always agree on all points of doctrine. Yeah, that's true. But on every significant major doctrine of the Christian faith, there is no ambiguity. There is no division. Christians throughout 2,000 years have all believed the same things because the Bible is clear about it. That's what you major on. That's what you build your life upon. Not, not the obscure things. And the Bible repeatedly warns about people who are, you know, back in there, I don't understand what the genealogy, why were they fixated on that? But genealogies and myths and these obscure points of the law. They're, getting, they're majoring on the minors. And we need to major on the majors. Build your life on the majors. So, you know, I, I was just talking to my brother Scott this week about, because uh, he preaches over at Change Point. Um, but everything he learns, you know, I teach him. So that's, that's not true. But I was just reminding him, because he and I both uh, studied history in college. And, and so we always had to find the new angle on history in order to get a good grade. So I was reminding him how, as pastors, the quickest path to heresy is novelty, I don't, I don't if, the, if Christians have not been proclaiming this truth for 2,000 years, why am I talking about it? Do you understand that? If anybody comes to you and says, man, I have, I have come to this insight, and, and Christian people never really saw this before, and it's so revolutionary, revolutionary to my spiritual life, and you've got to get it. The church had lost it. The church never saw this before. What do you think? For 2,000 years, God left his people, you know, the people that he loved and cared about in his church didn't know some key truth? There's no possibility of that. There's no way. Your novel truth is wrong. And you're a heretic. Or uh, maybe that's too strong. At least you've got some false teaching there. Uh, I don't want to be teaching new stuff. You shouldn't, yeah, anyways. Nor should you. Much ado about nothing. I've got a number of uh, scriptures here on this. Nope, I don't. Do I? Got a bunch written down here. Where are they? Titus 3.9. I'm lost. I got off. Hmm. Oh, yes. Nope. There we go. I said it all. I think I already read those. So, now what do we do? Well, Paul tells us. We're back to Romans chapter 16, and Paul tells us what to do. Number one, 
Watch out. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those. So, we keep our eyes open. And unfortunately, we have to even keep a watch on each other. And, uh, and, and if we identify somebody who is, you know, teaching incorrectly, they get, they, first they get um, addressed and they have an opportunity to change, right? Because people, we can, we can get out of, uh, out of line and we can be corrected. That's awesome. If there's a refusal to correct, uh, then we have to take it to the next step. And the next step is avoid them. Avoid them. And so, uh, here, are, here are some of the scriptures I have about avoiding. Because there is a time, there is a time to divide, and it is over the gospel and the purity of the gospel. In Titus chapter 1, we read this. For there are, I'm in verse 10, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to be teached, what they ought not to teach. So silence them. Don't let them have influence in the church. Don't, don't let them have a platform to teach falsely. Now, I want to hit three scriptures in Revelation chapter 2. So this is the risen Lord Jesus addressing the churches uh, in Asia Minor, seven churches, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, he's talking to the church of Ephesus, and he has a commendation. He's proud of him. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. So, the church of Ephesus was testing those who claimed to be prophets, and it had identified false prophets and said, nope, you can't teach here. You're not a true prophet of God. And Jesus says, good job. Now to the church of Pergamum in verse 14, Jesus says, I have a few things against you. You have some there who, are, who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So you've got some in your church who uh, have bought into this idea that you know, sexual immorality is, is acceptable as a Christian. Verse 15, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I'll come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus is saying you're tolerating false teaching in your church and that's not okay. Get those people out. Revelation 2.20 this is to the church of Thyatira, Jesus, the risen Lord. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So, false teaching is the danger to the church. Not government persecution, not a secularizing society. We don't like that. In fact, the Bible says pray, you know, against that. Uh, but it's false teaching that can corrupt the church from the inside, alter the gospel, so that the church loses its uh, witness and its power uh, in the world. Then finally, Paul tells us, uh, um, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. 
So, you know, why is it, so remember, the bank teller is not taught to learn the feel of counterfeit money, but just learn the, how the dollar feels so that when you touch a counterfeit piece, you instantly think, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't smell right. And that's what we want to be. We want to be theologically astute so that we can uh, just have that immediate sniff test. This just doesn't seem right. By the way, um, in the church, it is, it are, the pastors and elders are the, the ones who are primarily responsible. The whole church is responsible, but they're in a position to... Uh, that's one of their key goals is to guard the church, uh, church's doctrinal purity. So, do you make somebody an elder or a pastor because they're a good businessman or because they have a good reputation uh, or because they're super charismatic and, it, and everybody like? No. Well, well, I should say that's not bad stuff. But one of the things the Bible says is they've got to be able to teach. They have to know theology enough to be able to identify false teaching and say, nope, that's not happening. Uh, by the way, I, th I think that uh, one of the, I think that good, good preaching is one of the safeguards, because I, 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 I suspect that the, sh that the wolf in sheep's clothing who shows up, hopefully they show up at Clearwater Church and they look around and they're like, ah, these sheep are on guard. <laughs> I'm going to go somewhere else, somewhere easier. That's my hope. So we want to be innocent uh, as to what is evil and wise about what is good. Um, so innocent about what is evil, just really quickly. So if I think, mm, I need to understand the depravity of our country so that I can preach against it, so I'm going to watch certain movies so that I am aware. Is that wise? You know, do I have to partake in adultery in order to realize that's bad? <laughs> no, we don't, so. Okay. There we have it. False teaching. Bad. Let's watch out for it, avoid it, and let's not be naive, right? It, it's, a, it's a significant issue. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that you, uh, why do we believe that the Bible that we have today is in fact the word of God? Because we trust you and we know that you cared enough to communicate to us and you are, you're the one who has preserved your word for us. Thank you that we have the truth that we can build our lives upon. Uh, and Lord, do protect Clearwater Church from false teachers and help us to do, play our part. In Jesus' name. We pray, amen.